can you imagine eating at those hours? And it just, I would be famished. I feel really um, old right now because I do eat at those hours. <laughs> <laughs> the Tudor's Dynasty Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hi, Rose. Welcome back. Hi, Rebecca. Thank you so much. I can't wait to talk food with you again, because this is we've talked food in the past, and we get to talk food a little bit again today. Yay. Yes. I'm so excited. So you are a fan of the Tudors, correct? Yes, absolutely. But you also love all kinds of royal history, too, don't you? Yes, I do. I really want to talk today about tea time and understanding what tea time is. We're Americans, so not all of us have had the opportunity to experience a real tea time. But I think the question remains, uh, why is there a tea time and where does that history come from? So today we're kind of dabble into that a little bit with Rose's vast knowledge on the subject. So Rose, are you ready? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Let's start with the tutors because that's the subject um, most people who come to the show are comfortable with. So give us an idea in Tudor times, any part of that 118 years that they reigned, what did their daily eating look like? Were there certain times that they ate? How much did they eat? What can you tell us? Well, I guess it really depends on, you know, well, of course, Henry VIII and, and people in, in court, they were, they ate a lot, a vast amount. <laughs> Especially um, Henry. Of course. <laughs> um, but yes, uh, around 1130, um, I believe that was the time that they, that was the first meal around 1130. And then again at four. So their dinner would have been at four. And I mean, can you imagine eating at those hours and it just, I would be famished. I feel really um, old right now because I do eat at those hours. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 11.30 and 4. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. well, 11.30, yes, because I've always been like a 11 to noon lunch person. And then okay. I get so hungry that by the time I get home from work, which is usually about 4 o'clock, sometimes we end up eating at 4.30 and our daughter is like, how old are you guys? <laughs> So I guess I guess we eat like the tutors too. <laughs> oh my goodness. So no snack in between. You don't have anything in between that. I should, but I don't. <laughs> I would be so hungry. I I'm not a faster, so <laughs> uh, Okay, so the, I don't I'm not a breakfast eater. Did the tutors eat breakfast? So at 11:30 that was That so- was their breakfast. That was their breakfast, and they would mainly eat leftovers from the previous night. Um, so cold meats and bread and things like that. So, so, so now you know we we what do we eat for breakfast? I mean, well, I would like to think um, it's you know everybody eats like oatmeal and bacon and eggs and fruits and things like that. But nowadays people just eat smoothies. Don't they? right? <laughs> they we drink, drink breakfast now. They drink breakfast. They drink smoothies. 
So they ate the food from the night before, which, I mean, we're talking the 16th century here, so I'm not sure how good they were at keeping their food at proper temperatures. (laughs) So did people get sick all the time, or how did they store this? Do you know? I can't imagine. I mean, it's... I think nowadays there there are just more germs and bacteria <laughs> where we would get food poisoning if you left something out. But you know, back then they they, they did smoke a lot of meats and and things like that. So, um, and and you're right, they didn't even have refrigerators, and ice boxes weren't even a thing. Right. So so yeah, it's it's a little baffling, but. They had cellars, I assume, just like, cellars, yeah, right. so they could keep so they, things cool. You know, keep cold, but, yeah. you know, even now they say, don't let your food get to room temperature because that's when it starts to grow bacteria. Maybe the Tudors just had better um, better gut health than we did. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I'm just, I'm so, okay, so they, I'm going to go back to this. They ate <laughs> breakfast at 1130. Right. And they called it breakfast. So what did they call it at 4 p.m.? That was supper. It was supper. Okay. I like to figure out regionally, we all say things a little different. I grew up with breakfast, dinner, and supper as our three meals. What did you grow up with? Um, Just food. We didn't, <laughs> we didn't have... <laughs> we didn't... <laughs> I mean, you think about my My parents are Korean, and it was... My grandparents predominantly at home, so we really didn't have, you know, we didn't have anyone calling us to the table saying, okay, everybody come have breakfast and, you know, come have lunch or dinner. We actually didn't even have breakfast because um, my parents, you know, they they worked really hard and they couldn't get up to make us breakfast. <laughs> I know that sounds really um sad, but, uh, and then lunch was at school and then you know, dinner was just, you know, just, it's just food on the table. So So you did call it lunch and then dinner. So we've discovered that the tutors ate at 1130 and 4 PM like me. Right. Like you're such a tutor. I'm such a tutor. (laughs) I'm just an old lady. That's really all it is. So we know when they ate how about as we move through the centuries, how does that time change? Do they still eat around the same times? No, I mean, that it just changed, jumped uh, times from just, just throughout the years. But later on with the invention of electricity and railroads and new jobs and industries, mealtimes were early in the morning and and then late at night when they arrived home So from, from work. So breakfast was around... 7 30 and then or eight aristocrats sometimes around nine and then dinner was at eight or nine p.m so oh. it was very very late i couldn't handle that no so thank goodness for um anna marie russell <laughs> the seventh duchess of bedford for i was her. just gonna say who's that <laughs> yes she um well she is the one that's credited for really inventing afternoon tea. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit because here we are now we're smack dab in the Victorian era and the, the eating schedule has changed and people are hungry. What does she do? 
I feel like I'm just telling everybody what she did. <laughs> <laughs> well, she was a um, lady's maid to Queen Victoria um, of the bed chamber. So she was, she was very, very close to Queen Victoria. Afternoon tea started by happenstance. So um, the seventh Duchess of Bedford, Anna Russell, she requested light snacks such as bread with butter and biscuits and a uh, a pot of tea to be sent to her room because she just had this uh she was just sort of lightheaded and had the sinking feeling and she was feeling peckish um she was hungry that's was the hungry. feeling <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly so she and and good for her right for speaking her mind so soon she she invited friends to join her and one of them happened to be again her lifelong friend queen victoria who loved the idea and began having tea parties herself. So what was supposed to be a light snack became a regular meal for upper-class ladies. And it, it really did start for practical reasons and eventually evolved into this quintessentially British tra tradition and ritual. It really makes you wonder if the women of the Victorian era who were around when tea time was created by this duchess, if they all thought, oh, thank goodness, finally somebody spoke sure. up and we get to eat something. I, <laughs> I am sure, I'm certain. But also, I, you you have to wonder, there, there probably were other people doing this, um, just not as elaborate as they were doing. But, some, you know, people were eating and, and throughout the day, I'm sure. But just she had the... She she got the credit for it because <laughs> she has this platform and she's well known and so and Queen Victoria. So if just anybody on the streets were doing this, they wouldn't really be known as the person that created afternoon tea. <laughs> right. Not quite as memorable if it's Susie down the street. Right. <laughs> Susie down the street. <laughs> the seamstress. I don't know. You're right. She right. she had the platform to be able to do this. And I, I think it's so interesting, too, because tell me again, what foods did she bring to her first one? Very simple. So it started with, you know, just bread and butter. And um, I mean, so the upper class served tea and biscuits to their guests as far back as the 1700s. But in the late 1800s, when the Duchess of Bedford made this a tradition, she started with some biscuits and bread, and then it became a more elaborate affair. I'm sorry, when you say biscuits, do you really mean cookies? Yes. <laughs> I just want to make that clear in case somebody who's listening doesn't know. And they're not like, southern Ew. biscuits, no, not. <laughs> right. What kind of cookies did they make back then? Shortbread was Ooh. a big one. So shortbread um, biscuits, very simple, very plain, um, and some bread and butter. And yeah, thank goodness for, for finger sandwiches. And, you know, so because it did, it, it became a more elaborate affair with finger sandwiches, scones, with clotted cream and jam and pastries and mini cakes. I of feel like all the central theme around what they are eating is butter. Butter. <laughs> it is. I mean, shortbread, right? That's got a lot of butter in it. You got the clotted cream, you maybe yeah. some toast and butter. I mean, do you see it now? Like the 
butter. Butter. <laughs> a lot of lots of butter. Finger sandwiches surely would have had butter in it. Yeah. Cucumber sandwiches and um jam I don't I don't think jam pennies were really a thing um until Queen Elizabeth II, but Yes, you're right. Pastries and mini cakes, they all have butter. And I suppose that's just because that was some an ingredient that was readily available. Yeah, readily available. <laughs> right. And so, delicious, of course. <laughs> exactly. And there's so many different ways that you can have it. Right. <laughs> so we're, the Victorian era, they had these delicious little sandwiches and cookies or biscuits and so many other things to choose from. How does that differ from what is now the quintessential British tea time food that's eaten? So, well, when I, I can't speak for everyone else, but when I when I serve tea or when I have tea parties or have people over for tea, I still do the traditional finger sandwiches, scones with clotted cream and jam, and mini cakes and pastries. So um, the order of which it's meant to be eaten is from the bottom up. So savory to sweet. So the finger sandwiches will be on the bottom. And then the scones and clotted cream and jam are in the middle tier. And then the top tier would have all of the mini cakes and pastries. And I always I always make cucumber cream cheese sandwiches because I think they're so refreshing. And um they're just there, there's I, I put lemon and dill in it. Um and it, it is very, very good. Um and then, of course, the scones with the clotted cream and jam. And um, but back then, have you heard of uh, Victoria sandwiches and Victoria sponge cakes? I guess I've heard the term Victoria sponge cakes, but I guess I don't know any details about either of those things. So Queen Victoria, when she was um, when she she began having tea parties herself and, and inviting friends, she would have her tea with Victoria sponge cake um, or Victoria sandwiches, which are they're they're really just butter cakes and sandwiched in the middle was raspberry jam and on top just um, some powdered sugar on top. So very simple, but it's very good. <laughs> that sounds delicious. Yes, and so she would have that with her tea. And now, right nowadays, I mean, you go to Ritz, I guess if you go to Ritz Carlton or, or a tea shop or, or a tea, um, room, what, what do we, sorry, tea room. <laughs> it's late. <laughs> um, what do they serve? They, they, they serve finger sandwiches and scones and, um, not English. So I find in, in, in the States, you can't really find english scones they're scones but they're american scones which are very different than english scones tell us how are they different i'm not disparaging american scones because they're amazing um but american scones are more that they're dense and there's a sugar glaze on top have you seen i mean when you go to starbucks or mm -hmm. when you go to any tea rooms um they're triangular and they're just sort of glazed with sugar um and they're flat and and you just you could you eat it i guess on its own um or but with it. English, mm -hmm. 
But with English scones, you you they're they're just they're tall and they're round and they're fluffy in the middle, and you break them in half, and they're meant to be eaten with clotted cream and jam, so they're not as sweet. Mm. I'm drooling over here. We're talking about so much food. I'm ready for my second <laughs> supper. <laughs> So the English or the British scones look more like an American biscuit is probably the closest I could say. Yes, the closest, but taller. Yes. And smaller. Smaller. Yes. Tea scones. So smaller, but taller. (laughs) (laughs) And so do, do scones come in different flavors or what's the traditional British way to eat them? Oh, traditional is plain. And, um, you know, if you want to get fancy, then some currants in there. (laughs) But that's really the extent of it. I mean, that's, that's all you really need is just plain and, you know, and and fruit scones. And they don't taste like a biscuit. They have a sweetness to them. No. So biscuits, um, like the Southern biscuits, they're, they're savory. And they're they're meant to be eaten with savory foods, such as you know, like I mean, with with, with dinner with gravy and things right. like that. And it's um, and they're salty, but with these English scones, they have a hint of sweetness. Um, and again, they're they're they have toppings, so jam and and clotted cream, which really enhances everything. It's it's just it's perfect on on English scones with with jam. It is perfect. So let's talk about your love for tea time and how you were able to transfer that into a business. Well, I never actually intended to convert this uh, love of tea time <laughs> into a, a business. Um, it wasn't until I, I realized through other people, um, meaning like guests and, and such, what they were saying about how you couldn't get this type of scone here in the States. As we were talking about earlier, the American scones are are very sweet. And um, if you have a sweet tooth and if that's you know, what you're looking for, that's great. Um, I love American scones too, but it's just very different than than English scones. So I, I I just I wanted to be able to share this different type of scone here with the nation and just provide something um not so sweet. <laughs> What's the name of your company? The company is called Mrs. Bakewells. We are the first and only cream tea company in the United States. Let's talk about the products that you offer as well. So if you're listening and you're interested in trying a quintessential British um, scone with some tea, you want to listen to what Rose has to say right now, because I also have some feedback for afterward. But what, what can somebody expect to get? Our cream tea boxes, our curated cream tea boxes are um, filled with Classic English scones, so freshly baked English scones. They're traditional, authentic English scones. And also a jar of uh, strawberry preserves from France. And also clotted cream, which is imported from England. 
some Twining's tea, which is approved by the royal family, <laughs> <laughs> and some mini wooden bamboo spoons to help you get your toppings onto your scones. And what different flavors of scones do you make? So we have classic plain, cranberry orange, blueberry lemon, and Zante currants. And I have been lucky enough to receive one of these packages from Rose, and I was able to try them out. And I have to tell you, I think the cranberry orange is my favorite. I mean, I really like the blueberry lemon, but the cranberry orange, there's something about it. I, it's just mm, so good. You know, that is that is a very popular one. But um, surprisingly, blueberry lemon and classic plain are the most popular flavors. Really? <laughs> yes. I wonder if just cranberry scares people away. I, I'm not sure if people associate cranberry orange with a seasonal flavor. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I was actually really pleasantly surprised that Classic Plain was one of the number one flavors or that that's just what people like. And it makes me wonder if that's what they order because they want that traditional experience. Oh, I think so, too. I think so too. But the Zante currants are pretty amazing as well. They are mighty in flavor. They really have this, just this really, they have this tang to it because they're, they're grapes. They're not currants. They're, they're called Zante currants, but they're actually um, black currant grapes. So if you can imagine little mini raisins. <laughs> I'm daydreaming about it right now as you're describing. It. <laughs> I'm gonna have to send you a box. <laughs> okay, yes, please. <laughs> I just I love the combinations that you have. And I am not a big dessert person, so that might explain why I've only had tiramisu like once. <laughs> but I don't like overly sweet stuff. I'm I'm, you know, just like your family, I am it's not appealing to me. I am more of a savory person. And so these scones are just perfect. If you just want something that's just a little bit sweet, but it's filling enough because it's a scone. You can control the sweetness as well, because depending on how much jam you put on there, um, because the jam will make it very sweet. Yes. We talked about how, I forget what her name was, Duchess Sarah Oh, Anna, Anna Marie Russell, the, the Seventh Duchess of Bedford. Where did I get Sarah? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so the Duchess of Bedford is the one who, let's say, popularized tea time. Would that be fair? Yes, and Queen Victoria, of course. Of course, we have to give her credit as well. It kind of reminds me, earlier this season, we talked about Catherine of Braganza, and how she popularized tea. She didn't bring it to England, but she made it popular. So there's a fun little connection there between the popularization of tea and this tea time and how they're centuries apart still. Yes. They, um, so she was the wife of Charles II, and she brought tea as part of her dowry. And she was so ill on her uh, journey over um, she was so seasick and, and she requested some tea. And um, yes, that, that was, tea became very popular. And before that, they drank coffee. Yes. 
so coffee, and beer, ale, right. <laughs> wine. <laughs> I think it's so easy to forget, as anyone who studies history, that coffee was there first. Such an American thing. We think coffee is so American. We do, don't we? It's co- Yeah, we do. <laughs> right, that's our thing. Look at all the Starbucks we have. <laughs> and I, I am a coffee drinker. I try to drink tea. I will try every kind of tea. I have a tea drawer full of different flavors. You you reach for the coffee in the end. (laughs) I do. And I don't know if that's just because what I've always had was coffee and I'm just used to the flavor of it. That when I have tea, it feels too thin to me. That's the only way I can describe it. Do you know what I mean? Have you ever had it with, with milk or sugar? I have. Yep. Or honey. Well, I mean, you think about it, beer and coffee were the alternatives, right? I mean, that's why tea really was an American thing because, um, like I said before, the colonies wanted no part of English customs and it was just so heavily taxed. But I like my tea. I I don't use tea bags a lot. I will use tea bags, but my favorite way of having tea is loose leaf. Have you had loose leaf before? I have not, but I do want to try it. So Fortnum and Masons have the best loose leaf tea. And if and they're they're in they're in London, of course. So <laughs> but you can order online. Um but loose leaf tea is so much stronger and the flavor profile is much more rich. Oh. So um so that's where you do sometimes need that milk to counteract that strong flavor and so maybe if you try loose leaf, it'll it'll change your mind. I've been doing it wrong this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Tea bags are the bottom of the. Um, it's like the sort of like the. Um, what do you call it? I mean, th- there's there's an ongoing joke that it's sort of like the the dust from the, <laughs> the bottom. <laughs> So my tea drawer full of tea bags is the bottom rung. <laughs> I gotcha. That's cool. You know, it's like if you drink the cheap coffee, there's a difference between cheap coffee and quality coffee. Yes, there is. Yes. Well, good to know. I need to switch to loose sleep. If you're listening to this and you're like, what are they talking about right now? I'm really sorry. <laughs> I just, I, you know, sometimes... I'm interested in in things that maybe you wouldn't think I'm interested in or you wouldn't necessarily consider it to be a topic for one of my podcasts. But there's something to it when we learn these little bits of history that kind of builds a picture. I mean, if you're a fiction writer, you want to understand how these things looked or what experiences people may have had. Yes, history is so important. And I mean, we wouldn't be here if if we didn't have um, this knowledge. Of, well, of just people continuously talking about history, and um, just circling back real quick to the loose leaf, Rebecca. If you do get loose leaf, make sure you get a tea strainer. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want knowing. Um, I I just I don't want you to be choking on the the tea leaves. <laughs> Well, maybe I would just turn into a tea leaf reader instead. <laughs> oh, because 
I don't know if they'll, they'll they'll settle fast enough. So I just wanted to make that real quick before I forget. <laughs> no, that's, that's good. I was thinking like, oh, I need to get a whole new kind of teapot and I need to get the right yeah. stuff. And Oh, no. Tea strainers come in handy. Perfect. That's definitely what I'm going to need to get. Okay, so as listeners of the show, Rose has been kind enough to give us a promo code so that if you would like to try this quintessential British experience, you can at a discounted rate. And so if you're listening right now and you would like to try Rose's, Mrs. Bakewell's scones, where can they find you, Rose? So our cream tea boxes are sold exclusively on our website at mrsbakewells.com. And we're going to offer you what kind of discount? 10% discount. Ooh. Okay. Here. So 10% off. And it, you'll have to use the promo code TUTORS to get that. And I'll put this in the show notes as well. If you're listening and you don't have time to write it down in the show notes, you'll find the promo code to get a discount on Rose's delicious cream tea scones. I cannot tell you enough how delicious these are i went to work today and that's all i was talking about again and rose's presentation when the box arrives i'm going to do a video of me opening this box so that you can experience how well this is put together because even the box has her branding on it you open it up and there's like a beautiful you know cards in there and there's tissue paper with a sticker of Mrs. Bakewell's and you open it up and it's like the angels sing. And there, there are the scones all beautifully packaged and the clotted cream and the preserve all sitting in this box. And they're just waiting for you to eat them. And the worst part is waiting for your oven to preheat (laughs) because you want to put them in your mouth so fast. They are so delicious. I've never had a British scone. I've had an American scone. Was not a fan. But these are so good, you guys. If you've never had one, I really recommend you just try it. Get some friends together, even. Try it together. Just have a fun experience. Make some tea, sit around, gossip a little bit, and eat some of these scones. You'll thank me. I think you will. Thank you so much. That's so sweet of you to say. And yes, patience is key. Um, once you preheat the scone, or, or once once you preheat the oven, that's once it's done preheating. That's when you want to pop the scones in in because you don't want the scones to be in there as the oven is preheating because then it'll just dry them out. Um, you don't want that because they are so good. Like when they come out of the oven, they're just like the perfect temperature and you grab it and you can so easily pull it apart into two pieces and then you can decide at that point you know are you a heathen and do you like that's my word for the today have you noticed that are you a heathen and you like to put the clotted cream down first (laughs) (laughs) or are you like uh, please don't don't listen to that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I want to know 
how do you eat your scone? Okay, so if you're listening to this, reach out to me on social media at Tudor's Dynasty, wherever you are on social media. I'm there as at Tudor's Dynasty. Tell me how you eat your scone. I want to know. Clotted cream first or preserve first? Which is it? <laughs> I mean, we do try to um, do our part and making sure, um, you know, our, our packaging is sustainable, eco-friendly. And um, that's why when you open the box, everything is just customized to fit perfectly in there. So there's no waste. Um, and we don't like to use foam and bubble wrap and things like that. Um, so, so that's why when you open the box, everything is just you know, it just all perfectly packaged in there. It's one, and <laughs> I that... actually, um, if you do make a make an unboxing video, Rebecca, there's um, a little note that I wrote on there on the tissue paper. <laughs> so it may not be the best, but um, I wrote "Sorry, Rebecca" on there. <laughs> So, okay. Well, then we have backstory. So if I open it and the listeners see the video, now they'll laugh and they'll understand. You're not sorry about the contents. Well, let's get that clear. <laughs> I can't wait to open it now. <laughs> but it's serious. The packaging is so amazing. I don't want to keep just gushing over your packaging, but it is unbelievably just beautiful. And the bag that it comes in is reusable. Like you could use it as a lunch bag if you wanted to. Yes, I get a lot of emails. Um, people are using them as lunch bags, and it's so nice to hear. And if you, if um, especially if they're sending it as a gift, because it's such a pleasant surprise uh, for the recipient. But if people who want to reorder, we're actually going to be um, carrying disposable bags as well. If you don't want ten cooler. Bags. <laughs> if you really don't have a need for that many bags. That many, right. We have um we have recyclable uh disposable bags. Oh fantastic. Um, keep the contents cool. Rose Bakewell, thank you so much for coming on the show today and chatting tea time with us. Thank you so much. It was lovely to be here. And that concludes this episode on Tea Time with Rose Bakewell. I'd like to give a big shout out to all of our new patrons in the month of January. Lisa H., Donna K., Amy P., and Jacqueline N. I'd also like to say thank you to Patricia H., Jody, and Teresa L. for increasing your pledges. Thank you so much, you guys, for your generosity. It's because of patrons like you that this show continues. If you'd like to become a patron... Check out all the links in the show notes. You'll find it there. And you're also going to find a special link to a patron-exclusive discount on Mrs. Bakewell's. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, I'm Rebecca Larson. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Tudor's Dynasty Podcast. You can follow and support the Tudor's Dynasty Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon at Tudor's Dynasty.